0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Intuition, and you're listening to Kinda Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're coming from Atwater Village in the new Cosmic Zoo studio run by Daddy Kev and No Can Do, as always. Uh, I got my man, Ben Shim, behind the boards. Uh, Follow him on Twitter, at Database, base with two S's. Follow me on Twitter, at It's Intuition. Follow us on Twitter, at That's Kinda Neat. We're trying to get our bars up on Twitter. I've only got like 75 followers right now on that page, so you guys need to start following us if you're tuning in. And if you're already following us, the 75 of you that are there, I appreciate you. Um... Everybody else is in South by Southwest right now, and I'm watching that from home. And it's fun. I wish I was there. Some of my friends are having a blast there, but you know, one of these days I'll get out there. I was actually supposed to be home right now taking care of my dad. Because uh, it's my mom's spring break. But she decided to uh, stay in Alaska. And so I'm, I've am i been down here. And um, last night, my friend, Dumbfounded and Blue, they were playing at Low End Theory. So I took a long nap from like 7 till 10.30. And I pushed myself out of bed and went to uh, Low End Theory. And I got there around 11. And as I'm driving, I'm, I'm driving through Chinatown. And I was cruising next to a bus. And I'm kind of like... Head-to-head with this bus, I'm in the left lane and the bus is in the right lane and we're both kind of um, our headlights are in the same place when all of a sudden I see this orange tabby cat just jump so fast and for just trying to make it in front of the bus and it made it past the bus and I went oh fuck and I hit my brakes and it to no avail I fucking killed a cat with my car and it's the first time that I've ever hit an animal with a car and i feel miserable about it it was very scarring like the crunch that happened and i got out of my car when i parked thinking that there was going to be like fur and blood all over my tires but thankfully there weren't uh but i could see him in the rearview mirror and it was so bad and so it was probably someone's pet it may have been a feral cat i don't know but i fucking feel terrible about it and i feel like i'm gonna have nightmares and you know, just at, for good karma's sake, like I want to say I'm sorry to whomever's cat it was because uh, there's nothing that I could do. It was not on purpose. I promise. And it's crazy because living in Los Angeles, there is that distinct chance that you might hit someone's pet. Where I come from in Alaska, that's not really an issue because people live kind of so far away from each other. The chance of hitting someone's dog or cat. Uh, is slim, I think. Uh, It's something that you don't hear about that often. I feel like up there, uh, if you hit an animal, there's a very good chance that you could die because people hit moose up there a lot. Like one time, my friend Josh was driving his Jeep Grand Cherokee and he hit a moose going only 15 miles an hour and his Jeep Grand Cherokee got totaled because the moose kind of just plunked on top of his hood he hit the he kind of hit the moose it swept the leg you know like karate kid plopped on the hood the car gets crushed because moose weigh like two tons or something they're fucking huge and the moose got up and walked away like that's how crazy hitting animals in Alaska is and besides that all you hit is maybe like a a rabbit or or a squirrel like we don't have skunks up there every once in a while you'll see a porcupine but they're very rare uh, also very based but um (laughs) Oh, there's another crazy thing that happened to me today. Uh, I tend to always have these like synchronicity moments with um, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Uh, my buddy no Can, uh who I just talked about, he let me borrow the autobiography of Malcolm X a couple years ago because uh, I had never read it. And so as I'm reading it, it was right when that Kanye West song, Power, was blowing up. And in the song Power, he says, no one man should have all that power. And that's actually a quote from the Malcolm X uh, book. And it's also in the movie. I had never seen the movie. I've since seen the movie. It came out when I I was a little too young to grasp Malcolm X's importance to the grand scheme of our country. But I've since finished the book and watched the movie. And so when I was reading that and I got to the part in the book where it says, no one man should have all that power, I was like, holy shit, that's crazy because I was just listening to the Kanye song. I really loved it. And then I read that and it was this crazy moment of synchronicity where two things in my life synced up. And then this morning, literally, I was looking at my bookshelf for some reason as I was walking out the door to come to this podcast and I saw the Malcolm X book sitting on my bookshelf. And I thought, fuck, man, I've had that book for two years now or something at least. I should probably give that back to James. Cause I, I think like, you know, there was probably a note on the inside from somebody who had inscripted it to him. And I feel like I'm just holding his property now and I should give it back. And that was a literally a last moment thought as I left the house. And then as I'm walking to my car, there's an antique store next to my apartment. And so I'm walking and I look to my right and there hanging in the window is a huge, like 36 by 50 framed Malcolm X poster of the movie starring Denzel Washington, directed by Spike Lee, huge poster. And I said, oh shit, like this is another another moment of synchronicity with Malcolm X. I need to go ask how much this is. So I pick it up and I go in and I talk to Rick, who's like the crazy dude that runs this antique store. That's really more of a junk shop next to my house, but he charges like extraneous amounts of money for junk. And I go in, I talk to Rick. And he's like, hey, were you yelling at my Sanders the other day? And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I haven't been home. He's like, oh, well, you know, I know that you work at night. And I, I thought maybe if you were asleep during the day, you yelled at one of my Sanders. And I'm like, nah, man, it wasn't me. But anyways, how much is this Malcolm X poster? And he goes, well, you know, since there's a little crack in the frame down there, I'll give it to you for 10. I said, fuck, yeah, give me this for 10. Bought it, took it back to the house. I just thought that, um, it was too much of a weird coincidence to walk out and see that. And so now it'll be hanging on my wall. And there's probably not enough room on my walls. I have so much other shit hanging up. But anyways. Today, I am proud to present a conversation that I had with a friend of mine named Penny Bird Rabbit. She is an up-and-coming, very talented musician. She's signed to Atlantic. Um, She's worked with Skrillex in the past. She's got some great videos on YouTube. Google her, Penny Bird Rabbit. Look for her on Twitter, at WhoIsPenny. She actually performed a really pretty song that I'm going to put up on YouTube, uh, youtube.com backslash That's Kind of Neat. So yeah, here is my conversation with Penny. I hope you guys find it enjoyable. Thanks. What were you like as a kid?
1: Um awesome. I was I was shy kind of. I had really long hair. I'd hair down to my butt. And I did um, like musical theater, and um, I like to perform. I was fun. I played a lot by myself. I hung out in my room. And I had like I don't have imaginary friends, but I had like dolls. I played with Barbies. I played with Barbies and Ninja Turtle action figures together.
0: I love Ninja Turtles. When That's when I was the kind a kid. of
1: gr- the kid I was. Yeah. Oh, so when I was a little kid, um, we lived in the desert. I grew up in the Mojave Desert in a place called Ridgecrest, and it's It was a city, a very small city, and my brother and I it was the kind of town where you didn't have to like lock your door at least at the time in the 90s. and um, we played outside a lot and we just would we had to be back by dark, that was like the requirement. and um, we would get, get these buckets in the desert, there's like a million different kinds of ants. And so there were yellow ants and purple ants and red ants and black ants. And black ants, you could, like, hold in your hand and they wouldn't bite you. The other ones would hurt really bad. And we would get these buckets, and we would go into the desert and find the ant hills, and we would take shovels, and we would scoop the ants into buckets, and we would have like ant wars and they would battle each other
0: like would you put them in a jar to battle each We'd other we put them
1: in these like tubs
0: oh so within the bucket you would just dump whole families of ants, ants. like yeah different be, like, species so that they would go at each other
1: yeah we were turds and then we would like find scorpions or like roly polies and like toss them into the mix and see what would happen but that was like our form of entertainment what was That's the what dominant species black never won because they they were just, like, the nice ant. But the yellow ants and the purple ants were the the nasty ones. How
0: did the scorpions fare?
1: They always died. Did they get swarmed? They totally get swarmed.
0: You were really onto something, because now there's, like, a whole viral video channel of, like... Japanese insect wars where they do the same kind of thing like they'll put a black widow against a scorpion and see who wins and Oh, stuff. really? Yeah, and all the videos are like crazy.
1: Yeah, we started that.
0: Oh, you're very um very trend Very yeah, on trend. I was ahead of my time. So why were your folks out in the desert?
1: My mom grew up there and I was born in Oceanside and shortly after she was um, holler
0: at my Oceanside riders.
1: Yeah
0: So you were born in Oceanside and then you moved out
1: to the desert at what? age? Yeah, um, and I was just a little baby just a itty bitty baby and <clears throat> we lived there for like 10 years. My mom's um, family lived out there, and she wanted to be close to her parents.
0: What did your dad do for work out there?
1: When I was younger, he did something with like housing, and then he got into um, the computers, and then he managed like a PC store, but then they had like a, a Microsoft store. Oh, I said Microsoft, but I meant yeah. Macintosh and back when like the apple logo was like the rainbow apple so i grew up like with computers back
0: when macintoshes were just made for like fifth grade classrooms
1: yeah and they had like the mario teaches typing like that, that's what macintosh was for basically the apple
0: 2es with uh, where in the world is carmen sandiego yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah remember when they came out with the the macintosh thing that um it was like the i was called like the imac and it had like the big rainbow colored back it was like Blue or purple. I
0: shit you not that my mother still has one of those in her bedroom. I
1: think we still have one at my parents' house somewhere. And they had the dinosaur game on it. Yeah. Yeah, I killed that game. It's
0: crazy because now I have, like, a modern iMac. It's, like, huge 27-inch <laughs> screen. Right. I'm just tuning my own horn right now, but ah. my computer's very swag. Uh, <laughs> and and I, go, I go home and I see my mom has, like, this teal, blue fucking... I walked
1: into someone's office the other day and they had a, a TV that had, like, a VCR... Connected to the TV. Oh yeah, like not like a you know a VCR on top, like it was in the TV. And I was like, "Why do you have this?" I heard that they're making um, VHS tapes, and they're making them to sell, but they're selling them for like a lot of money.
0: One of the first things I ever recorded on a VCR was a New Kids on the Block concert on the Disney Channel when I was in about second grade, and I still have it.
1: I remember coming home from sixth grade one time, my mom was so excited. She had, like a chair in front of the TV, and she's like, "I have something for you," and she recorded the making of. In sync, Bye, Bye Bye on MTV. Wow. She like recorded it for me and it was like very exciting.
0: This will show our age difference, but uh, <laughs> The Simpsons Sing the Blues was this big deal when I was in like fourth grade. Yeah, and they were gonna premiere two videos. It was like called Deep Deep Trouble and The Bartman. And so I stayed up till like midnight to tape it on MTV. My folks were really cool about it. I used to love The Simpsons, still do. I still love The Simpsons.
1: That's a venue, see? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, anyhow, you're out in the desert, your dad works for Apple.
1: Yeah, basically. And he was also like school board president for a while.
0: What was it That's like going cool. to elementary school out there?
1: It was cool. I mean having um it was a small town, so everyone knew, you know, everybody. Is
0: it kind of white trash up there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm from a small town too, my town is very white trash. And I've been to like the desert. Yeah. You know, Palmdale and stuff like that.
1: It's stuck in a time period. Yeah. It's still the nineties in Ridgecrest. <laughs> I went back, you know, and you think like, was it like this when I was little or is it just like degraded to this like is this the point we've reached you know was it always like this or have you know
0: were there a lot of kids to play with did you kind of live in a neighborhood or yeah. were you out in the sticks for
1: a little bit I lived in a neighborhood um and I had like my best friend lived around the corner and we knew their family luckily you know like we knew them from church and um her older brother was my brother's best friend and she was my best friend and um the age difference between her and her brother was three years and the age difference between me and my brother is three years so it kind of just like fit like we just like the four of us kind of just I feel like every family
0: has a family like that because my family has a family that's the same way like the two sons are the exact same age as my brother and I and then because all four of us got along then our parents got along as well and now they're like a close family friend that has grown up with us you know
1: when you're little you can be friends with anybody I remember I was at an aquarium one time and this little kid I I watched her go up to this other girl and go do you want to be my friend And I like teared up in my heart like Mel and I just that's how people should be, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you wanna be my friend? Yeah. Like it's so simple and I think I don't know, I wonder what it would be like to meet those people now if you would like connected me, but when you're younger it just it, it's magical, but um and then we moved into the house my mom grew up in and um, kind of downsized a little bit and we moved into this like tiny two bedroom house um, in the middle of the desert. Like there were how you could see houses but we were kind of in the middle of nowhere which was fun because you got to do anything you wanted and that's where we got into like a lot of trouble
0: did you do all kinds of like desert broed out stuff like were you guys on quads and and motorcycles and stuff
1: you know what i have a i have a dirt bike now but we didn't get into it until like four or five years ago Mm. it was just such a shame my uncle, though, was. He, like, did, you know, the whole thing. I don't even know what what you would call it, but he had, like, a dirt bike, and he would, like, do jumps and things, and he, like, raced.
0: You're spending a lot of time in the desert yeah. imagining, and yeah. were you, like, putting on plays and musicals with your dolls?
1: Yeah, all the time. I remember, I have this very funny memory of me sitting, like, on the street corner at, like, sunset. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, a sunset in the desert or, like, in a valley, but it kills any, like, beach sunset. Beach sunsets are stupid <laughs> compared to They're things. very
0: pink and orange. They're, like very vibrant colors the desert ones they're
1: beautiful it's unbelievable we would actually like my aunt lived in the town and when we would see like a beautiful sunset we would call to make sure the other person saw it like do you see this like weird i don't know that's like lame and all you have to do in the desert i guess but (laughs) i have this memory of me just like singing and just like making up songs for like 20 minutes i just sat outside and just sang um And yeah, I was always singing and dancing and I did like ballet and I did, I would sing like aqua in my bedroom on my bed, like really loud like every word to uh, like the whole aqua cd
0: come on barbie let's go party
1: yeah i remember my mom being like don't play that song i love
0: that your influences are so not what i would expect because when i look (laughs) at you and i see this like funky alt-looking chick with pink hair (laughs) and like crazy outfits and lots of layers i'm like she must be so up on like the craziest indie music shit (laughs) and you're like i love Katy perry no you don't Oh, I, feel, I take you for a Katy Perry fan. No, no,
1: no! Uh-uh. I'm not a Katy Cat.
0: Who are you fucking with?
1: Um, Britney Spears. You love Britney. Yeah.
0: Okay, who else?
1: Um, my three pop ladies are Beyonce, Britney Spears, and Gaga.
0: What are three influences that you have that people wouldn't expect?
1: Oh, um, I don't know. I don't know what people do expect, but um, I listen to a lot of Blink eighty two. Um, I listened to a lot of The Shins. And um, I listen to this band called As Tall as Lions a lot. They're cool. They're not really a band anymore, though.
0: As a kid, were you the one getting picked to like be the lead in all the plays that had singing?
1: No, but I had like, cool parts. I mean, my first... What got me into doing um, music, I... Babes in Toyland. Are you familiar at all with that play?
0: Yeah, vaguely.
1: Me too. I don't really remember, but um, there's this scene where they like go into the forest and like a little fairy angel comes out and like sings a song, and that was I got that part. You're the
0: fairy angel. I was
1: yeah, and had it was like it wasn't actually my first solo. My first solo was second grade. I sang Jolly Old Saint Nicholas in front of the entire town. I mean, in Ridgecrest, like the only theater was the high school theater. And so, when anything happened, there, like the entire community went. It was huge, a huge. I mean, now that I'm an adult, probably wasn't as big as I remember it being when I was like three foot five. But in Babes in Toyland, I had my first real solo that got me into um, the lady who like directed the play was an agent, and so I started doing like I taking acting classes.
0: At what age was that?
1: Um, like six. I did a lot of work out there because you know, like all the car commercials out in the desert those are all filmed, like, by where I used to live. There's, like, this famous road called, like, Garlock or something. Mm -hmm. And um, all the car commercials are, like, filmed out there. Or a lot of them, I mean. And there's a a small living ghost town called Randsburg. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people film movies and commercials and weird stuff out there. So I was always kind of on set doing something, um, whether or not I was, like, an extra. I did a lot of stand-in work, which is basically, like, your um you go in and you sit in the room that they're like doing the lighting for so that the actor doesn't have to do it. Mm. So like I did um okay this is funny. This is a cool story. So Johnny Depp did this movie called The Brave where he like wrote and directed it and it got like booed. You can look it up, but it's like this awful movie about like a snuff film. It's very sad and weird. People started booing at the It theaters. was like they like were premiering it and it was like boo yeah. I mean it didn't even come out. Like when yeah it was awful. Like That's what everyone says. I don't know. I mean, I think Johnny up's fantastic. So how bad could it have really been? But um, I don't know. I was like eight or seven. No, I was about seven. So um, I was the stand-in for the character that played his daughter. And he was the director. So I was always on set talking to him. And I knew who he was because Edward Hands was like my favorite movie when I was a little kid. And so I just kind of like stare at him. And we got along so well that I got to eat with them. I didn't have to eat with like the extras. I got to eat in the main room with like all the other actors. And I got to go to all the cool things. And I knew like it was just cool. I'd like walk on set and they'd be like, hey. And I was like this little tiny thing with like big hair and like this huge head. I had a huge head and I was little because I was so small. My head's always been this size. And, um, yeah, like when I, he came up to me and he's like, when you wrap, when you're done, you like, come let me know. And I did. I walked up and I was like, Johnny, I'm done. And he like, I was like, okay, stop. And like stopped filming and like picked me up and like took a bunch of pictures with me and I left. And I just have, they had to dye my hair, um, so that it was darker, like the little girl that played his daughter. So I had this like dark auburn brown hair.
0: What color is your natural hair?
1: I don't know. It's all
0: pink right now. and blonde.
1: I mean, it looks brown, like a dirty blonde, but I don't know. I haven't, I don't, I haven't seen my natural hair in like 10 years.
0: So you get an agent when you're six and you start doing all this work. When did you kind of discover that you had this knack for singing?
1: The same age. Um, I started taking the lady who did in Babes in Toyland, my very first real play. Um, who did, like, the music became my vocal coach. And I was, like, the youngest person at her studio. I was, like, six and a half, seven. But I started taking voice lessons, and I did really well. And I could, you know, I fan of the opera. I could, like, my range was just incredible. I was just had this, like, tiny little mouse voice, and I could just, it was this huge range. Um, I love singing. There's videos of my brother and I at the piano at home singing, like, two-part harmony. And I was, like... Seven, you know, and um, he's we we're just a musical musical family. I, I have memories of my dad just sitting on the bed playing guitar to me. All of us can play an instrument, and all of us can sing.
0: What age did you start playing piano?
1: Probably like five. Wow. I'm not awesome at it. I, I can read music. I'm really grateful for all of that because I'm not some like wonderful pianist. I can't just like sit down and be like and like play like jazz for you. You know, like some people. And in fact, I have this video of me singing at the piano, playing, like, chords to Gaga song, and someone, like, commented, like, she's not even playing the piano, she's just playing chords. I remember reading it being like, okay, you do it, then, okay? But, you know, I can read music because of all that. And I kept all the things I learned through, you know, singing at that age, I've kept that throughout my whole life, like, how to breathe properly, and I just, you learn so much and you can retain so much as a young child, and I'm really grateful for that. I did choir throughout, you know, school, middle school and high school, and... I've just kept singing forever.
0: Were you uh, popular in high school?
1: I don't know. I was freshman class president. Really? Yeah. I remember when I ran, I passed out Smarties with little notes that said, Be a smarty, Vote for me. <laughs> and then ones that said, I had dum-dums. Don't be a dum-dum. And I I was always really involved in, like... Um, Student government, and we called it ASB.
0: That was like early social media, passing out uh, hand flyers, you know? Yeah. That's what you had to do before Twitter.
1: Yeah, I think I did okay in high school. I had an older brother that was really cool. And
0: this was back in Oceanside? You had moved back to Oceanside? Yeah,
1: I went to Vista High. Okay. And um, my brother was just like the coolest thing on campus. In his senior year, some girl on the yearbook like, committee, loved him. So, like, every, like, five pages in the yearbook, there's a picture of my brother and our yearbook, you know, there's, like, 4,000 kids at my high school, so the yearbook is huge. And he was just all over the yearbook. So I felt really lucky having him, but when...
0: So he was, like, a senior when you were a freshman? He
1: was a junior when I was a freshman. So I had him for two years in high school with me, which was really nice.
0: So you are getting invited to all the older kid parties?
1: Yeah, I just went with him wherever, you know, and if he, like, got in an argument with my parents, he'd look at me, he be like, let's go! And I'd be like, okay, and I'd just get in the car and go he'd be frustrated driving like his dumb van he drove and I would just sit there, you know.
0: He's in bands too, right?
1: Yeah, my brother is awesome. He um he was like in a band in high school and then right out of high school joined like his favorite band. And um they're not really a thing anymore, but he's still making music. He's awesome.
0: Were you telling me he had a deal or something?
1: Yeah, they were signed um he was in a band called Sayosin and oh, they were signed okay. to Capitol. They were awesome.
0: And what did he do in Seosin? He was a singer. So when did you start kind of making your own music?
1: Okay, so I went home a couple of weeks ago, and I was going through um, boxes of my stuff trying to look for, <clears throat> I was looking for this folder of like old poems I had, and I was just like dumping out stuff, and um, I found like poems I had written in like middle school that were hilarious, but you know what's crazy is that um, those things are kind of gems, like some of my first songs you know I've I've reworked and made and I you know like run home Jack is like the last song on my EP my first EP I wrote that when I was 16 you should hear the first demo of it it's hilarious but I just it it stuck with me and it was cool that when I got to rework it it you know came to be what I heard in my head when I wrote it but I didn't know how to do it on GarageBand so Um, I've been writing songs for a really long time, but not really thinking about it, you know, just kind of doing it and not really knowing that's what I was doing. When I would write poetry, I would hum melodies to what I was writing to help me. And that was before I was like, I want to be a singer. I was I wanted to write poetry. That's how I'd write. I would sit in the garage.
0: That's how you made it make sense to yourself. It had, you yeah. had to give it a melody to make it flow.
1: The rhyming scheme and like how you know how you hold on to certain words and I don't know that must be like how rapping is the way you pronounce things and the way you you know perform the word.
0: I actually write raps by thinking about you writing songs and then that helps me put <laughs> it down. I'm like, how, how would Penny write this?
1: <laughs> I do the same, but I'm, so I'm glad you admitted it first.
0: When was that point when you decided I want to be a singer?
1: So, um, I mean, man, at a young age, you know, that game life where, um, <laughs> that kind of sounded heavy, you know?
0: <laughs> you know, this thing that we participate <laughs> the game called life.
1: No, you know, the board game life, um, how that you can pick a career. I always wanted to be like the rock star. Like there was like some like beautiful woman with like an Afro and she like, had a guitar and like, I was like, that's what I want to be. I want to be that, um, forever. And when my brother joined his favorite band, um, it was difficult for me because (laughs) I was explaining this to like Suits the other day. I was like in a meeting and I was trying to explain like my story, you know, and there's like these like I'm talking to like Suits. Right. And I say, yeah, I didn't want to be Ashley Simpson living in the shadow of someone else's dream and they didn't get it. But at the time, Ashley Simpson was a huge singer, and that was one of her lyrics about Jessica Simpson. And I I just trying to make a joke, and they just, like, stared blankly at me like they didn't understand. It went, like, whoosh, over their head. But that was really real to me at the time. That was, like, a – I was, like, all about Avril Lavigne and Ashley Simpson. And um, that song came out, and I remember, you know, right as my brother's like, joining his band, I was like, I can't – I can't be Ashley Simpson. And so you don't want
0: to be the girl that's getting famous because her brother's getting famous.
1: right. Or like somehow, you know, abuse that or or look like I am jealous or something. i I just was I was afraid of all of that. And um I was like going through a hard time. I was like sixteen and like feeling things for the first time and um heavy into dashboard confessional. So like I was just sad. You know, it's like when you feel emotions and you don't know how to explain them when you're younger. So
0: you just cut yourself? I
1: I just cried a lot. And um, I graduated high school and I got really into photography and I wanted to go to photo school and um, my parents were like, yeah. Which one
0: were you trying to go to?
1: I was trying to go to Brooks. Didn't you go to Brooks? Yeah, that's where I went. Yeah. Um,
0: you're stoked that you didn't go. It's fine.
1: Yeah. I'm actually really stoked I didn't go. They wanted me to go to beauty school. They're like, you love hair, and, you you, you know, I've been dyeing my hair and cutting my own hair forever. They're like, you're so good at that. You should go to beauty. They enrolled me in beauty school. And, I, you know, I was like, yeah, okay. And then I, like, freaked out. And I, like, my brother was home from tour, and I was like, I don't want to go to beauty school. And I just cried to him one night, you know, in the kitchen. And he was like, all right, you've got to just figure it out. You Then go somewhere else. And so <clears throat> I moved to Utah, and I lived in Orem, Utah. My best friend was going to school out there.
0: So you were going to beauty school in O-Side or San Diego? Yeah, they too? wanted me
1: to go to Oceanside um, Beauty College.
0: So you are like 18? I was 17. 17. And, and then you are like, no, nah, like, I'm not doing this. this. I'm moving to Utah.
1: Yeah. And literally like a week and a half later, I just packed everything into my Jeep, and I moved up by myself. So
0: what took you to Utah?
1: My friend was going to school there, and she's my best friend, and um, it's cheap, the most I ever paid for rent was 380, and I lived in like a furnished apartment. And so I was 17, and I couldn't really afford anything more than that. And I worked at Chili's. I worked at Chili's for four years, and she moved up, and I was like, you know what? How I'm stoked were you
0: in the Backstreet Boys did the baby back rib commercial? Stoked, or was it in sync?
1: Oh, it's sync. So hot. Very stoked. Justin's so hot. Um, His
0: new record is so tight. It's I, okay. so
1: tight. Did you see him on SNL?
0: Yeah, he was really good on SNL. I
1: die.
0: Justin Superlake's kind of like one of my man crushes. Yeah. And I fully admit that. Like, That's I, totally I, cool. Like, he's dope.
1: I love man crushes. I
0: just feel like I want to high five and be like, you're really cool, and I'd buy him a beer.
1: You want to just, like, kind of put your arm around him?
0: Nah, you know, I just want to be like, yo, man, we could be friends, bro.
1: <laughs> hey, with Twitter, you can. Twitter is allowed for fans to think that they can, like, talk to... It's so weird. I was talking to Brittany, my friend Brittany, about this the other day, about how it's confused fans, I think, that they have such an easy access to the celebrity. And it was so cool at first, like, oh, you're, like, you know, one tweet away from talking. And when you... Like, I get stoked. Like, Blake Anderson from Workaholics, like, replied to a tweet. And I, like, lost my mind over it. and it's so cool, but it confuses, I think, younger...
0: Yeah, Well, and that's the thing is that I read the Twitter responses that I get right. And uh, occasionally I'll respond to some But then some people take it the wrong way And if you don't consistently respond They right. get sour at you or they act like You're not friends anymore It's like, I don't actually know you
1: I had that happen to me on Tumblr After, you know, I did all I ask of you with me. I had like a small little fan base of like like a I have like 15 kids that always were tweeting at me and always tumbling. Now, time with, out.
0: Uh-huh. You just said that very nonchalantly, but explain it better to the fans who aren't that familiar with you or who Sonny is. What just happened right there? Oh,
1: okay. Well, actually, I guess I'll, I'll go back a little bit further. I moved to L.A. to make music and I was living out of my car um, where I met some people in L.A. They were like, you should really move here. And they were cool enough people to me that I was like, yeah. And I went home like that day and I was working at Guitar Center and a salon and I was like, I'm leaving later, and I quit, and I drove up, and I lived literally out of my car. I had, like, a a laundry basket full of all my clothes, and I had all my shoes lined up, like, on the the floor of my car, and if I had to, I would stay up all night, and then I would sleep in the daytime, you know, because I didn't know, I didn't have anywhere to go. There's a couple studios that I would crash on on the couch there until I found, um, a girl to let me live with her while her boyfriend was on tour, and then I met Sunny, who's Skrillex. This was after his first EP, but before the Scary Monsters and Ice Brides EP, and we met and um, kind of, you know, became like attached to the hip and hung out all the time and, you know, got really close. And um, it was coming towards the time where I had to be out of this apartment. And I said to him, like, oh, Sunny, I don't know where I'm going to go. Like, if, worst case scenario, can I just leave a bunch of stuff in your, in your warehouse? And he was like, "Yeah, but you don't need to do that. We'll figure it out." And he like walked me over to this loft building, um, and I kind of just got in. He had lived there. A bunch of his friends lived there. And I met is the, that the
0: place that Syra was living at, too?
1: Syra lived there for a minute.
0: Did you already know her previously, or is that where you guys met?
1: She wasn't living there at the time. I met Syra later through Sunny. And, you know, we were hanging out. I, I, I literally sat there the entire time he made that EP. I got I was there when he got the call that was like Dead Mouse was wanting him to make an EP and go on tour with him. And um, he was like, I can't hang out. I got to make this EP. And I would just like wake up and go get him coffee and, like, sit and watch him. And, like, my eyes were just, like, this big, you know, trying to, like, learn as much as I could in Ableton while he was, like, making stuff.
0: So you guys ended up collabing?
1: Yeah, he called me one night, and he said, uh, do you want to be on my EP? And his house was literally two buildings away from Ryan. And I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, okay, come over. And I was in my pajamas, and I just walked over to his house and, um, he, like, handed me a mic, I didn't record that song with headphones. It wasn't proper at all. He just hand me a microphone. And it kind of just happened. And then, um, you know, I, it, it's very surreal. It just, I didn't, I didn't know at the time what it was going to mean for my life or my career or that it was even like the start of my career. I was writing songs and I would show him the songs and we would talk about him. And we had tried to work on some other things. It just kind of, the magic wasn't like there in that moment, you know, but i ask if you just kind of happened and when the, the song came out i remember watching it go on it was a progressive house song and i remember like reaching on beatport like or going higher up on the charts to where it got to number one And i was like what even how is this how is this even possible you know and i remember t- talking to people about it and it, i didn't really understand and then one day he was like i have to go and i was like what do you mean you have to go he's like i have to go on tour for like two years and i was like okay later like Sad, but bye, I guess. And he left, and then I still didn't understand what the song meant for my life. And <laughs> um, he calls me one day, and he's like, "Hey, let's do a show together in Vegas." And I went out and performed it, and that's kind of when I met my A and R now, and I met you know people from my label at that show. I just didn't know how important those things were. It was just kind of like I was having fun with my friend. It was always like that. We were just, like, having fun. And I didn't understand what any of it meant
0: at all. What label did you end up getting signed to?
1: Big Beat, Atlantic's um, dance label.
0: I met you, like, maybe three or four months ago. You were working at um, Swingers. Yeah. Sometimes my friends and I would go in for lunch to see you, and and you'd be our waitress. But you just got to quit. Yes. Because now you're living off music.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, the day I quit my job, or, like, the last day of working, I crashed my car. And so I was just like, the money that I had saved was gone. (laughs) Just gone in like one car accident. But it's cool. It's cool to, you know, wake up and not have to. I get to wake up and and create and make music and and write stories and, and be creative, which is a huge blessing. I'm very lucky.
0: Now that you have quit your job and your job is to make music, what's your process like? Do you wake up in the morning and have a scheduled time to write?
1: You know, No, I'm trying to figure it out because before, you know, having work throughout the week, um, I had to work around that. It makes you work
0: harder when you have less time, don't you think?
1: Absolutely. The first month was really difficult for me because, one, I didn't have a car. And so I was stuck in my apartment. And, um which is kinda of far from everybody, and so I couldn't get picked up really. And um, it was hard waking up and, and being motivated, because I was bummed about my car, and I was just bummed. But the second month was a little bit easier for me. I was scheduling things. If I don't have a schedule, it's crap. I'm, I'm not as you know organized. If I don't wake up and go, okay, I have to get this done, I have to get this done, I have to get this done. But it's hard. Creating is um, draining. And I don't think people realize that, um, you know, with writing the first two EPs I've written, um, and you know, the, the collection of songs I've had, I've written that I'm sitting with, you know, over the past, you know, year, um, it's very draining. You, especially as a kind of writer that I am and the kind of artist and creator that I am, I'm, I'm more of like a maker, I'm not the best singer, um. But I need to create and make things. And waking up, um, you know, it has writing has to be about something. So it can't just I don't just always wake up and go like okay, it's not a nine to five where I go sit in a cubicle and I write songs all day. It's not like that for me. Um, I don't know how to write songs about nothing. I don't know how to write songs about going out, you know, and with my girlfriends because that's that's not what inspires me.
0: What inspires you?
1: Life, my life. I write, you know. Somebody asked me when my first CP came out, um, the Treehouse CP I put out a couple months ago by myself. They said, "What was writing? What was the writing process of that?" And I, I didn't know what to say. I just, I said, I, I, (laughs) I said it wrote itself, and that's so real because you know when it's right. And I wrote my second song on that on the ep is called sick with magic and that was a song i literally was devastated in my loft devastated crying and i sat down at this keyboard i borrowed this is funny it's actually jeff holm for anybody that watches the bachelor my friend jeff was on last season and like won the babe i guess that's like what the prize is you win the babe But Jeff used to live downtown, and he was, like, gone for a couple months, and he let me borrow his keyboard. That's just, like, a funny thing that I think is fun to talk about. Anyways, I had his his beautiful keyboard, and I was devastated in my apartment, crying. And I sat down, and I literally wrote it. And, like, I just sang it. And after I did it, I was like, oh, my gosh. And I got a pencil and paper out to remember. And I wrote down the chords quickly, and I wrote down the lyrics quickly. And it just happens when it's when it's right. You know, I don't ever try to force anything. There's this, um, Bukowski book. I don't know. I I guess he has a billion, but I never read the whole thing. But the first like story or poem in the book is it talks about not forcing it. And if it does, it needs to like burst out of you. And that is something that's, you know, I think you have to push yourself. I think you have to sit in a room and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite until it comes Um, but I think at a certain point you go like, okay, I'm forcing this and I've got to stop. So it's hard for me because I don't wake up in the morning and force myself through anything. I try to let it happen. I drive around a lot and I sing with, I have like my voice note thing open and I just sing into my phone, anything. And then I go home and I go like, okay, what was crap and what is good? And then I work on that. Um, But I do a lot of like co-writing lately. Um, I really like it. You kind of get funny when you write too much on your own Um, it gets to a point where I I feel like I was like losing touch with reality I didn't know how to communicate I was so involved in writing in my house I went home to see my parents and they had people over there's probably like 20 people in my house and I freaked out And I had to go sit in the bathroom and like calm myself because I hadn't been around that many people I had just been in my apartment or at work but work doesn't count because you're just kind of like You have, like, a... Going through the motions. Yeah. And so having to, like, actually talk to people and people be like, oh, so what's going on in your life? And you're like, I don't know how to answer any of these questions because I've been at home alone for three weeks.
0: I completely and utterly relate to that right now. Like, I'm going through the same shit where now that I'm not, like, fully employed. Right. When I'm busy, I'm very busy. And when I'm not busy, I don't know what the fuck to do with myself. And, and, and like, I don't want to leave the house and spend a bunch of money. And so I'm sitting at home trying to work on things and... It's and hard. yeah, it gets weird when you're back in a group of people and you haven't talked to anyone other than like chatting to friends on the computer. Right. You leave and go to a party, and you just fucking. I feel like I'm a cokehead, blabbing a million miles a minute because I haven't talked to anyone in a while. Right.
1: That's good that you get that way because I don't talk. I-, I get into the public situation and I go like, I can't say, it, and I just I like invert. Mm. And I'm not, and you know, I'm very social and I like people and I guess sometimes. But I had to go. To, I went to a bridal shower. My friend is getting married, and we we plan this bridal shower. And, you know, it's hard to explain to people that don't... (laughs) that aren't artists or aren't makers of some sort of craft what it's like to be at home alone writing and making things. Not that it's a burden. It's not like, oh, it's such a heavy job. But, you know, it's hard to explain. (laughs) I went to a, a bridal shower where it was just women. When is the last time you've ever been in a room I mean, I guess you're not a, a girl, but or with just dudes, it's overwhelming. And I guess it's not the same for guys. Maybe I don't know, but
0: you know, when I'm in a room with just women, it's a different story. No, I feel you. It's hard to relate to a room full of anybody because once you get a certain um, sampling of the human race in a room together, everyone has their uh, different paths, and it leads to a lot of just empty small talk.
1: I I, that's not my thing. You know, I can make conversations with anybody. I love talking to people online at the grocery store and at airports and on the airplane. And I like to, ma- I like to be friendly. I love asking the people at the grocery store how their day is. How's it going? You know, it's, it's nice. I like people. That's why I loved to be a waitress, because I had these little interactions with people throughout my day, and I got to make these small bonds and connections with people, and then they would leave, and that was it.
0: But at the same time, when someone asks you, hey, what have you been up to? That's a scary question.
1: It is the most terrifying question. Most ter- I was at dinner last night with my uncle and my aunt, and he was like, so what's going on in your life lately? Tell me about it. And I'm like, "Uh," And you freeze, because, well, hey, like, A, what, what do you care about it? Like, what do you want me to tell you that's going to be interesting to you? Because I could tell you a lot of things, you know, but it's the way people ask questions sometimes, like at the bridal shower, people that don't really understand or want to relate, you know, it's just very uncomfortable. Like, how do you, how do you respond to questions like, so what's it like to be in LA? I don't know. What's it like to be in San Diego? What's it like to be you? I, I asked this question to this man the other day. I said, what's your life like? And I really meant it. Like, what is it like? What do you do? Like, tell me all about it. But it was such a different question than like, so what is it that you do? And that's, I hate that question, man. That's such an L.A. question. Like, why? Because if I don't do something cool, you're not going to be my friend. Yeah, well, so what is it that you do? That's such a
0: standard like, L.A. introduction. Oh, what do you do? But it's because everyone in L.A. kind of carries themselves like they're somebody, don't you think?
1: I guess so. But I don't know, I don't interact a lot with that kind of world.
0: I mean, you're somebody, though, where when I first met you, I wanted to ask, what do you do? Because you seem like a character. Yeah, but that's... You're very interesting. Oh, thank you. You're welcome.
1: I don't know. I think sometimes it's the way that people ask it, and it's the intent behind the question. You know, I had friends in town from Australia that are in this awesome band, and we went out the other night, and we were over by that place of birds, and there's that restaurant that, like, fancy, like, um, I don't know, I had dinner there one time, and it, the food was whatever, but... Um, outside was really cool, and they have, like, a place where you can, like, sit outside, and there was a birthday party going on, and so I knew, I randomly, like, knew a bunch of people there, and I was being introduced to people, and there's just such a difference sometimes, like, you get around a person, and you go, like, I can be myself around you, and you can just feel it immediately, like, I felt that way with you, and, like, Adam, and all of our friends, and then... You know, you get thrown into a certain crowd where you just have the, you just know that no matter what you do, you're not going to impress these people, and no matter what you do, you're not going to win, and you're not. It's just not, you know, worth like putting out. Something that's that vibe a lot of the times with people that go like, so what do you do? And you're like, Ugh And sometimes it's even harder when it's from someone that's kind of successful, and you know what they do, and you're like, man. I don't want to tell you because you're just going <laughs> to make me feel small.
0: But at the same time, you have to think those people that um, do have that success, they've gone through the same thing that you have gone through.
1: Yeah, I guess it goes back to the intent and the way that the question you know, if is You know, if you
0: were talking to Jewel and she said, what do you do? And you're like, well, you know, I used to live in my, my car and now I'm a singer. She'd go, oh, me too.
1: Right. I hope she'd say that because yeah. Jewel's so cool.
0: She's from Alaska, too.
1: Are you from? You're from Alaska. Hello. Hello.
0: Speaking of people in your life that you talk to that are successful, can you tell me about whose dogs you babysit? <laughs> I went to um, eat lunch at Swingers the huh? last day that you were working. Me and Adam and Romo and some other friends we met up so that uh, we could be your last table that you served. Yeah. And out walks Drew Carey. Yeah. Like, onto a little scooter that he has. Yeah. And, like, you guys were, like, fucking hugging and, like, old friends. And I'm like, wait, was that Drew Carey? Yeah. Yeah, so tell me about your relationship with Drew Carey, because I find that very interesting.
1: <laughs> Drew's the best. Um, I met Drew at Swingers. Um, he comes in all the time. And I had been serving him, you know, for, like, I don't know, maybe a year or maybe less. I'm not really sure. Time is weird in my head. Um... And it was after New Year's, not this le- this past New Year's, but the New Year's before. And um, we've been friends for a couple years now. And I um, had a show in Texas with Porter Robinson and the M-Machine. And then Porter and I were flying back on a, on a jet, which was the coolest thing ever, to San Diego in the same night to play two New Year's shows. And... Um, it was just really cool. I never experienced anything like that. And it was fun to experience that with like Porter, who's like a dear friend of mine, and to be you know, with, with basically family. It was awesome and I had s- such a good New Year's. So when I came back to work and I said, I saw Drew at the counter and I said, Hey, like how was your New Year's? And he was like, eh. and we kind of got into talking about, you know, life and, and things and he asked how mine was. And I said it was awesome. I got to go to Texas and then I flew on a jet to San Diego, and I had two shows in one night and he said, "I didn't even know you made music. like where can I find it?" And I said, "Well, I only have one thing out. you can find it on iTunes and a couple of days later he came back in and he's like, "I bought your song." And I was like, "What what do you mean you bought my song?" And he's like, "I bought it. It's so good." And um we had just kind of become friends to where you know I was talking about really cool places to go downtown, and one of my um Best friends from work, at the, you know, uh, we were talking about it. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, true, blah, blah, blah. And talking about what, the New Year's conversation we had, I thought it was so cool. And talking about, you know, we would talk about career and life. And he was just someone I could talk to about all that, that cool stuff with, about what I was doing in L.A. and, you know, why living on my car. That's something he could relate to. And working at a restaurant was something he could relate to. He worked at Denny's. And um, finally, we just kind of asked if he wanted to hang out with us. We're like, do you want to be our friend? Do you want to go, like, do something? Like
0: the little four-year-old girl you saw asked, "Do you want to be my friend?"
1: That's literally what happened. <laughs> and we asked him, "Hey, you know, if you want to," I wrote down a bunch of really cool places for him, and we just said, "If you ever want to go to any of those places, call us." And he totally did. And he was like, "I have this event downtown. I have to go to. It's like some bowling, celebrity bowling thing. Do you want to come?" And we were just kind of like, "Yeah, of course we want to come." And we like got picked up in a car, and it was so crazy. And, and we show up to the event, and like Kevin Hart is there. Some guy from um, uh, Entourage was there. That we kept heckling. Like we were right behind the bowler, so we just kept heckling all night. I got to like hold Kevin Hart's like little baby, and like he's. I met him twice before that. And literally, he's, like, just as tiny as Sunny and I. He's the smallest. And he's so cool. He's so nice. He, like, texted you. He's like, tell your friends. It's so nice to meet them. I'm like... Oh, you're Kevin Hart. I watch you on, like, YouTube.
0: A surprising fact about Drew Carey that I noticed at Swingers is that he's actually, like, very tall and pretty good-looking in real life. Yeah. I feel like he, he plays up the dorky role on TV, but, like, when he oh. takes his glasses off, he's, like, a pretty fucking, <laughs> he's, like, a pretty handsome dude. Have
1: you ever Googled him, like, when he was younger and, like, in the military? No. Stud! Total stud! It was at that event, the first time we ever hung out, that he was telling me about these books that changed his life. And I, I think he joked and said something like, it's what made me a millionaire. And I looked at him and I said, I want to read those books. I want to read any of those books. Will you write them down for me? He said, no problem. And I show up to work, and he has a stack of books for me. And I'm like, you don't have to buy these books for me. And he goes, no, 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 I totally, you know, I want to read them. And I went home, and I started reading these, like, success books that, like, totally changed my attitude about life. And it was at such a good time because... I was writing, and I was feeling really sad, and I didn't know how to not feel that way. It's an emotion that totally, you know, controlled me. And um, talking with him at work was something, you know, like I was like, oh, Drew, I read this chapter. I would talk to him about what I was reading, and I would talk to him about a lot of things. And he's someone that I could just, I had a question about success or I had a question about hard, you know, working, or he bought me, like, this planner that would help you, this guy Zig Ziglar, google that name it will change your life Um, made this planner to help you actually achieve stuff like actually accomplish things and he bought it for me he's like i thought you would like this and it totally helps
0: what are some of the books can you remember
1: Mm -hmm. think and grow rich is one and see you at the top great book zigzagler is incredible the university of success i can't remember the last one he bought but then he bought me these, like, um, uh, notes from the universe that are, like, these just, like, positive, like, you know, every other, every page is just, like, a positive thought. It's really cool. And he, there's, like, a series of, like, three or four that he got for me. But just having that relationship, you know, I just kind of worked out to where I was, like, struggling a little bit. And he was, like, offering me a job to dog sit. So I watch his puppies. It's awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you have a manager now? No. No? No manager? <laughs>
1: not at the moment
0: you need a manager i'll manage you you will no probably not i'd be (laughs) terrible at it i can't talk to suits how often do you have to go into your label and have meetings and stuff
1: um you know i'm really close to my a&r
0: you want to shout him out
1: yeah chris morris
0: holla chris morris
1: (laughs) i love him he's one of my favorite people um i'm lucky to have him he was a friend before he became my a&r so i've just known him for a minute so we have a good friendship
0: how does he help guide your career?
1: He helps with scheduling and if I wanna like help, you know, write with somebody or I'm like, Oh, it'd be interesting to do can we try? And he kind of just makes stuff happen. You know, um it's a little bit difficult not having management at the moment, trying to um make the the creative things in my head I see, you know, come true.
0: When you're writing at home, are you producing for yourself and then trying to get into the studio afterwards to recreate it with the perhaps a quote unquote bigger producer?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. I work in Ableton, um, and you know, fortunately for me, everyone you know around me works in Ableton.
0: You're pretty good at producing, though. Like you played me stuff in the car. That's like, oh wow, you made this. <laughs> yeah, it's a very <laughs> Thank professional. You. You're welcome. Very professional sounding.
1: Thank you. I mean, I, I learned from the best. I think, and I'm not like fantastic, but that was what was really cool about the first EP and the second EP that I'm putting out. Um, you know, at the end of this end of this month or beginning of next month we might push it back. Um, but I, I, I structured everything myself. And then I went to my friend Patrick who I made the EPs with and I said, these, you know, I had the stems and I said, these are songs and you know, maybe these aren't the right sounds or the ideas there, but I don't know how, I don't know everything. I'm still learning. And, um, to be able to say like, you know you play songs or i'll play my song for people i'm like i made this like this part specifically like is me you know like i would like slide patrick's chair over and be like let me do this ha. and i would you know rearrange the line or i would add certain sounds like in i have a song coming out called run where instead of having a clap i went through all these sounds to find a bite sound like someone biting into an apple and, you know, Run Home Jack was mostly me, which I'm so proud of. But, like, the little wind chimes and the babies laughing, like, that's sitting there forever trying to find these, like, perfect sounds. And, I don't know, really cool. I'm really lucky to have had someone like Patrick, who allowed me to be so a part of making the song. Because I had written them, and I came to him and I said, "Can we, can we do something with these? And for him to allow me to be a part of the actual production because before co-writing with people and meeting people, you know, my first, my first co-writes out here when I moved, I hated co-writing because I was told that's not how it works. That's not how you write a song. No, 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 no. And you know, my structure is weird. The way that I write, I don't know how, I don't know what I'm doing. I just make it up. I sit in my room and I go, okay. Um, and I wrote Treehouse, and Patrick came in and said like, okay, let's, move this here, and we'll double this as the chorus. Now you have a song. And so to have him help me make things a little bit more proper, but then to have you know him allow me to go like, okay, not so, not so serious. Let's try something a little bit more fun, or let me be a part of it. I don't know what my sound is. People ask me all the time, what's your sound? What do you sound like? I don't know. I'm figuring it out. You know, the first stuff you put out as an artist is never i mean if you think about it is your first ep or first whatever out that's not like exactly what you wanted to sound like it's like almost it's like getting closer to what exactly it is you're figuring it out as an artist
0: right now what would you classify your music as like is it kind of it's almost like singer-songwriter pop music but dancey
1: totally that's something that i think um you know i think when after all i ask of you came out we um I didn't know what electronic music was, right? I knew what Aqua was. It's been called synth pop. Um, I call it treehouse. Like... I get it. You get it. I don't have to explain that good. Um, You know, it's fairy music. It's like postal service-esque, you know?
0: Is it post-postal service? It's
1: post-postal service. (laughs) Tight.
0: Before you met Sonny and moved to L.A., was that what you were interested in? or, Or did that influence where the music went, hanging out with him?
1: You know, when I moved to L.A., I would sort of just um, met with some people that were in a band. And I didn't really know what I... I didn't see... A, I didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to do it. And I knew I wanted to perform. And I knew I loved karaoke. <laughs> and I knew I loved being on stage. And I wanted to just do that at whatever cost. And I met some people that wanted to kind of make me like a Lolita figure. I have a very, I mean, I look like I'm 12. They wanted me to be the new Aqua, which I was so down with because Aqua's the best. And um, I was so, I was too down for that. I was like, okay, tight. And nothing really ever came of that. And the songs I was recording, they just weren't, I was trying to write and the other people that would write with me would be like, nah. And they would shut my idea down, and so I got, like, really sad, and I remember going home to Sunny and just sobbing and being like, I hate this, I hate this. And he was like, you know you can make whatever you want to make, right? And you know when, like, someone says that, you're like, yeah, but you didn't really know that you could do that? It's, like, such an obvious thing, and, you know, he kind of talked me through leaving my first, you know, management and he was such a part of saying, like, why don't you try this? Why don't you experience, an exp- or not experience, explore this route a little bit more? I didn't know what the heck Dubstep was. My sister knew who Deadmau5 was before I did. And she's a baby. And, you know, it was such a foreign thing to me. And, you know, after All will Ask You came out, we had feature offers, right? I remember going <laughs> over and him being like, um, so Diplo hit us up and, and asked about you doing a feature, and I told him no that you weren't doing features. I didn't know who Diplo was. So I was hesitant because it was work.
0: So do you kick yourself for that now?
1: No, no, not at all. I remember, And Zed did the same. And Zed was like, you know, he said, he said you, why don't you listen to the song? And if you feel inspired, write over it. But I would, we discussed it. We discussed what it meant to do more features without putting something out of mine first. And his suggestion, which was the route I took, was why don't you make you know, something and put it out as you before you do another feature so that you're not cornered into something. Because there are those girls out there in the EDM world that did so many features that tried to put an EP out that was so, you know, heavy on the, like, it was just two big names where her name, or the girls' names are overshadowed by the DJ name that produced the song and the, and then the EP that the girl would put out didn't flops because it's not about her you know what I mean and that was something that was so important to me that my first name is Penny my first name is not featuring mm-hmm. and you know I fought really hard for that but having explored the progressive house route um, I think a lot of people thought I was gonna you know be a part of that like heavy EDM world where I was just seeing all these top lines which is the I'm doing the exact opposite of that. And I'm on a dance label, um, but I didn't know until after I got my deal what my sound was going to be like. You know, I had a couple demos. There's another song setting I did together that's sitting on my laptop that (laughs) no one's heard. And some other tiny little demos I had, but they weren't anything substantial. And I'm so lucky to have someone vouch for me, and for me to get a deal out of it, and then you know have the funds and have and be able to make you know to be able to make music. Now I'm figuring it out.
0: Without getting too specific with numbers and stuff, can you kind of tell us what having a record deal means on your level? Being that you are a new artist who was discovered and signed instantly. I don't mean instantly, like not an overnight success, but you know, the song comes out, you have label interest with no other projects quite out yet. How does it work?
1: That was crazy. People asked me, oh, you got a development deal? No, I got a, I got a real deal. Um, And what's the
0: difference between the two?
1: um, It means nothing, to be honest, and everything at the same time.
0: But, I mean, you have a budget to work with.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit more of a budget now. Um, I've paid for everything out of pocket that I've done so far. All my videos I've paid for, all my videos I've directed, I've edited. Um, Man, I don't know. Because it didn't change. My life didn't change. I didn't tell anybody for a very long time that I got signed. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell, any, my, a few close friends knew, um, and my management at the time, and my lawyer. And that was it. It didn't mean, my life didn't change overnight. I kept my day job. I worked. I worked for an entire year. I didn't tell anybody for an entire year. And, you know, when my EP came out on iTunes, I was like, I should probably tell my mom. Because she's going to see it say Warner Music Group. And she's going to go, what is this? And I'm going to go, ah, let me tell you. I actually haven't even told my brother, <laughs> still, because it, doesn't, it didn't change anything. I'm still making music with my friends, but I think what it will allow is, I now have a platform, I now have somewhere to put my stuff. I'm really fortunate for that. It was an opportunity, and it felt right in my gut, and I said yes, which is how I've gotten this far. Anytime there was an opportunity that came up, if it felt wrong, I said no. If it felt right, I said Yes. And I tried to say yes most of the time until, you know, there was a couple times where I said yes. And then I was like, and I tried to back out quickly out of the situation, but I wanted to try everything because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think anybody knows what they're doing, you know, but I think trying and being positive and just, you know, having a goal in mind worked out and it paid off.
0: Well, thank you for saying yes to coming in today.
1: Oh, Lee.
0: I appreciate (laughs) it. Even with
1: my stuffy nose. Yes.
0: Even with your stuffy nose. Uh, I wish you the best. And before we go,
1: mm-hmm.
0: tell the people where to find you online. Like, what's your Twitter?
1: My Twitter is at WhoIsPenny. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, it's PennyBirdRabbit, one word. PennyBirdRabbit. You can find me on Instagram, at BirdRabbit. And you can find me on Tumblr, BirdRabbit.tumblr.com.
0: Penny, thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> it. And, um, yeah, follow us, too, on Twitter, at Neat. Uh, follow my man behind the boards, Ben Shim at hey. I Database. Uh, <laughs> follow me at Its Intuition, and uh, find us on YouTube. We're gonna try to make a, a song today in the studio, and you can see Penny perform it. Um, so YouTube.com/slash That's Kinda Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. Uh, this was kind of neat.
1: Yay. <laughs>